your Bibles again to First Peter. We are in the second chapter today. So last week we talked about uh, being built up as living stones in God's spiritual house and how the, the temple, the place to meet with God is not any longer one specific physical location. We don't have to look to a place on a map to uh, find the place to meet with God, but believers in Christ, if you have been saved in Christ, if you have been redeemed by the Son of God, then you are uh, built as God's temple, that you, you are the one that is carrying God's presence and He dwells within us each personally. And we're going to build a little bit uh, more on that this week. Um, we're using the same same verses here, but we'll we'll go a little more a little farther with that this week. We're going to start in verse four. First Peter chapter two, starting in verse four, it says, "As you come to Him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, to those who do not believe this stone the builders rejected has become a capstone, and and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which they also were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, People belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, uh, the first thing that we, we have to understand, again, is as it begins by talking about how we come to Christ, we accept Him, we come to know Him, we receive salvation in Him, and through Him, then we are built up as God's temple. And remember... In the Old Covenant, we saw that uh, they started with the tent. Moses went up on the mountain and he got the the commands of God and he came back down uh, with the plans for the tent of meeting uh, where Moses would go and God would dwell in that place behind the, the most holy place behind the curtain. Moses would go to that place and the priests would perform their duties in that tent and later on it was the temple after they built a permanent place in Jerusalem for God to dwell but how in the Old Testament, uh, everything that we see in the Old Testament, there were types and shadows of things that would come in the New Testament. And the things that we see in the Old Testament were shadowing the spiritual things to come in the New Testament. So the temple in the Old Testament was the place where God dwelled. And we see then in the New Testament, then it says we are being built as God's spiritual house. As living stones, we are being built into God's spiritual house. So in the Old Covenant, the temple, the physical place, the physical building... Or the tent was where God's presence dwelled. And that's where they went to meet Him. In the New Covenant, under Christ, we are the place where God dwells. He dwells within us, each one of us. So the church, those who are saved in Christ, are God's spiritual temple, carrying His presence into the world. But he goes on and says, this is what we want to look at today, is uh, in verse 5, you like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Uh, so, I want to focus on that today about how we are not just being built into the temple where God dwells, but we then are the new covenant. We are the priests of God. Every one of us. 
That doesn't mean that a pastor who is on staff in a church, that that's the person that's a priest. It doesn't mean that there's somebody that uh, you go to and you confess your sins and then they mediate between uh, God and you to forgive your sins, uh, as we see in some forms of what is called Christianity. There is no one that has to mediate. between Christ alone is our mediator between man and God. So we have the access then through Christ to approach God, what the Bible says, with boldness and confidence. We can boldly approach the throne of God, the place where he dwells. We can approach him through God. But then the, the new covenant gives us then the responsibility of priests under the high priest. So in the old covenant, we see that uh, the, the tent of meeting or the temple was set up and the Levites were the priests. If you study the Old Testament, you'll see that there were different tribes of Israel and the Levites were the ones that were set apart to perform the duties in the temple. Uh, the, the Bible even says that they weren't to be given actual land uh, in, in the allotment of the land. The Levites were set apart for the temple work. They were the priests. But there was one of them that was a high priest. The first one was Aaron. Moses' brother Aaron was set apart as the high priest. And we're going to look at that in a few moments, but... So they were set apart as the priests of God, and Aaron was the high priest. So remember we talked about before how there was one time a year where the high priest could go behind the curtain where God dwelled in the most holy place. There was, there was different sections of this temple. There was the outer court where the altar and the, the washing basin was, and then they would go in uh, to the first room, and there was the, the, the table of showbread. The lamp was uh, to the other side. And the altar of incense was directly before that curtain to the most holy place. So they, the priests could go then into that holy place. Uh, those who were worshipers outside, the people of Israel, the general person in Israel, couldn't ever go beyond that outer court. But the priests, any of the priests, could go in that first room, the holy place. But it was only the high priest that could go into the most holy place behind the curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was that symbolized God's presence. That's where he was one time a year. Uh, so Aaron was the one who was able to go to that place, the most holy place behind the, the, the curtain, while the other priests were able to do the other work. So the point, what we see in that was the shadow of Christ and us as the priests of God. So our high priest has become Christ. Christ is our high priest today. Aaron's position and the high priests after him were showing the spiritual nature of Christ to come as our high priest. What did Christ do? He entered into that most holy place. If you read Hebrews, uh, I don't remember exactly where it starts, but most of the book of Hebrews is talking about these kind of things, the shadows uh, of the Old Testament and how all of those things in the Old Covenant were pointing to Christ and how Christ fulfilled them. So if you ever want to study these things, read the book of Hebrews. But uh, So Christ... In his death and resurrection, again, we talked about last week, the moment where he died, what happened? The curtain of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Meaning that the separation from the holy place and the most holy place, that separation doesn't exist anymore. So Christ, our high priest, entered that most holy place where God dwelled once for all. There never needed to be another sacrifice. He took down that, that curtain. He tore down that curtain, symbolizing that the place of, uh, the, the, the holy place was now the place where God dwelled. There wasn't a separation between the holy place where the priest could go and the most holy place where the high priest could go one time a year. 
Now that is very significant as believers for us to understand that. The symbolism there, that Christ entered that place, cut down the door, and then we serve as priests in the new covenant under our high priest, Christ. So we have priestly duties as believers in Christ. We have to understand that our position is not just uh, coming to the place where we receive salvation and we just do a few good things in the church and eventually we'll be in heaven where God dwells. That's not what this is all about. You understand in the new covenant that we are considered the priests of God under our high priest Christ. That means that we are performing the priestly duties of the new covenant. That is what our life should be. And we're going to go through today what some of those priestly duties are. Uh, but this is not something that is inconsistent with the rest of the, the New Testament. You'll read this in Revelation chapter 1. It says, uh, to him who loves us, meaning Christ, he's greeting uh, the believers through Christ. He says, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. In Revelation chapter 9, starting in verse 9, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy, meaning Christ, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So what he is saying there is through the blood of Christ, he has purchased a people not just the Jews, not just the Israelites, but people from all nations and tongues to be a kingdom in priests. Through the blood of Christ, we have been purchased to be a kingdom of priests for our God. So the idea is consistent through uh, the, the New Testament that uh, believers are uh, the priests of God today. So the first thing we want to look at today is uh, the character of the priest, the priests of God. Every time that you will see uh, the priests referred to in the, in the New Testament, it says that they are a holy priesthood. So the first thing we have to understand is that to be a priest, we are to be a holy priesthood. That means that my, my life should be set apart to God. It should be consecrated to God. It should be set apart for His work. Everything within me, I would... Lay it on the altar before God and allow Him to set it apart for His work. And we'll talk a little bit later about the spiritual sacrifices of the priest. But, again, being separated from the world. Understanding, is again, the Bible says that we're, we, we have to dwell in this world. We're, we're in this world, but we are not of this world. I'm a priest of the kingdom of God. I, I represent my king in His kingdom as I walk in this earth. As Even though I'm surrounded by the evil things of the world, my life is set apart for God and His work in all things. Now that means not just, you know, we think about things that we sacrifice to God, and a lot of times maybe it comes down to money or things like that. But you understand when, when we're talking about setting apart our lives for God, we can't compartmentalize our lives and have, well, these few things over here are for God, and then I have these other things over here for me. You know, sometimes we have this place where we come to where we think that we, we need things for ourselves. You know, I, I, I just need this. I need this time for myself. And I'm not saying we don't need time to rest or time to be away from, from things or, or in life where uh, you, you prioritize things to understand how to be renewed and have time for yourself to be renewed. But in that, my time devoted to myself 
should be set apart for God. There should never be self-centered motives in anything that I do. Everything that I do should be for the glory of God. So even when I am looking at time where you know I just need to be away to be renewed, understanding that our rest and our renewal comes from God. So I'm not setting part of time apart from the world to renew myself. I'm setting time apart so that I can be in the presence of God to be renewed by Him. Understanding that He is the source of life. So I'm just saying that we can't compartmentalize life. We can't leave these few things for God and then this is for my children and this is for my husband this is for uh, you know, school or whatever. We have these different things. We live so subjectively as Christians but we should live objectively where every single subject, everything within our life, everything that we say, everything that we do, our interactions with our kids, our family, the people at school, All of those things are lived out as a priest of God. Meaning my aim is to offer Him spiritual sacrifices in everything that I say and do. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. Uh, But Aaron's sons were set apart for the priestly service to God. You understand that as priests, we have to understand our role then as ministry. Now, most of the time when we think about ministry, we think immediately about the church, right? We our, immediately our attention goes to well I'm a part of this church and in that church I do I, I teach and I do this and that whatever it is, but understanding that our service first has to be towards God. My ministry first is towards God. The, the ministry that took part in the Old Testament temple was ministry before God. Even consider this: they had, as I said, you you went in the first room, that holy place, and on the right was the table, on the left was the 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 uh, candles, and directly before the curtain where God dwelled was the altar of incense. And they were to keep that altar burning constantly. The Bible says that they were to keep incense burning constantly. There was a specific mixture for the the incense. I can't remember uh, exactly where it's at uh, uh, in the Old Testament that shows the, the exact mixture, but there was a way they had to make that mixture of incense. And God said, you set this apart for me, No one else is to use this mixture. This is for me, to be burning on this altar before me constantly. So a priest would go in there every day to make sure that incense was burning. And somebody would go out, somebody else would go in at some other time to make sure that incense was burning. And somebody else would go and they would add a little more incense. They would do something to minister to God to keep that incense burning before him. They went into that place to minister to God. And you understand then there are things that we do today that relate directly to that. If you go to uh, Revelation, uh, I think it's chapter 5, but it talks about uh, uh, the elders were in the throne room of God and it says that uh, they, each one of them held uh, golden bowls of incense which are the prayers of the saints. That's what it says. The Bible says that the elders were in the throne room of God holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So you understand the, the symbolism there, what we're talking about, the shadow of that altar of incense that was before the curtain of God every day, that the incense was constantly burning as a ministry to God, as a sacrifice, as an offering to God. It was constantly burning before Him. And the priests kept that going. They were offering something to God. And then we see in the New Covenant, we see in Revelation, they're holding golden bowls of incense, 
which are the prayers of the saints. So we have incense in the Old Testament burning before God, and we have incense in the New Testament burning in the throne room of God that says the incense is the prayers of the saints. So that means that what we are doing as priestly, uh, in, in our priestly role, we have the opportunity to minister to God even in the simplicity of prayer. It is what, that, that is what is burning in the throne room of God right now. That is what, uh, consider how significant that is that the prayers of the saints would be held in what is symbolized. I don't, I would assume it's symbolized this way, but in golden bowls. Golden bowls in the throne room of God are the prayers of the saints. Everything that we offer Him out of a sincere heart is held in that high regard before God. But my point in that is we have to think in terms of ministering to God before we can start considering ministering to other people. Meaning that we need to make sure our relationship with God is growing. Meaning we need to consistently offer spiritual sacrifices to God before we begin trying to minister to others. And we'll talk about that a little more in a moment. But we have to think about ministry as ministry to God before we can start thinking about ministry to other people. Uh, so we see Aaron and his son set apart for the priestly service to God. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 8 says this. Um, this was talking of Moses. Moses was performing this uh, kind of ceremony to set apart Aaron and his sons. In verse 22 it says, He then presented the other ram, the ram for ordination, And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward and put some of the blood on the lobes of the right ears and on the thumbs of the right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. Uh, So God had Moses consecrate Aaron and his sons by putting some of the sacrificial blood on their right ear, their thumb, and their right big toe. Now that sounds a little bit weird at first, right? Why would we do that? But if you start considering what that would have meant at the time, they, they took these things very seriously. There was, uh, uh, in, in I think it's in Judges, but uh, it talks about an evil king who had, uh, uh, I think it was 70, 70 kings or something. He, he, uh, he cut off, I think it said that he, they cut off their, their right big toe and their thumb. And what that meant was that that incapacitated them from anything that would possibly harm the other king. How are you going to shoot a bow if your thumb's cut off, right? There are a lot of things that you are inhibited from if you don't have a thumb. It's pretty difficult to walk if you don't have your big toe, right? That keeps you balanced. That's what keeps everything kind of together. You still can walk, but you're just kind of off balance. So that's why they did that. Now, if you think about what's the point of this, them anointing Aaron and his sons, their right ear, it would have signified something like uh, the priests being set apart in their desire to hear and obey the voice of God. That their right ear would be always directed towards hearing the voice of God amidst all of the noise of the world, that his right ear is anointed because his ears then are set apart to God, to hear God to hear his voice, to understand his direction, to seek his direction in all things. And then his right thumb would have signified something about the work of the priest uh, being for God's glory, that everything that we do with our hands, our work, our hands signify our work. 
So everything his hands touched then would be set apart for the glory of God. And the same thing with his right toe. Why would they do that? Because everything that we walk in, seeking to walk in the ways of God, seeking to pursue God and uh, understand his, his path and pursue that path, being quickened to walk in the Spirit and follow after God's leading. So that's the point of all of that. In that moment, it's, it's, it seems like a crazy thing to us today to think that they were set apart in that way. But that he touched his ear, his right thumb, and his right big toe, that was symbolizing that all of Aaron's being and his sons was being set apart to the work of God, to hear him, to work for him, and to walk with him. That was the point of it. So what, what that is saying to us today then, is seeing the priest set apart in that way, is again, my sacrifices can't be compartmentalized. Well, I give this amount of money to the church and that should be good enough. Or I teach this class or, or I do this for the church and, and, and you know, this and this and then I have the rest of my time to do whatever I want. You understand that to be a priest of God, my ear is set apart in all things to hear His voice, to seek His voice. My hands are set apart in all things to do His work. That means that everything that I do is for His glory. My feet are set apart to walk and seek and to walk in His ways, to walk in His Spirit's lead. Everything that I do, that means my time, my talents, my gifts, my abilities, my money, everything that I have is set apart for God's glory. It's not just one or two things. It's everything that I have. So we have to understand as priests that everything that we are is set apart to God for His purposes. So we are to be a holy priesthood. And second, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices to God uh, in ministry to Him. Uh, Again, verse 5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, So the first thing that we have to understand is that walking in holiness means that we are walking in Christ. There is nothing that can be done here that is acceptable to God if it's not offered through Jesus Christ. There's nothing. There's nothing that we can do to offer to God a pleasing sacrifice if it doesn't go through Christ. Now that means, first of all, that to be a holy priest, you have to be a part of God's church. You have to be redeemed by Christ. That would seem like it would be self-evident, but I have seen people, I've seen conversations, I've heard conversations with people in ministry who have said even things like everything that we do as the church should be about unbelievers. Because we have such an idea today that we, we want people to come to know Christ and we fix everything within us hinges on that. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about that. We absolutely should. We're commanded to tell other peoples about Christ. We're, we, the Bible says that God is concerned that all would come to know Him. God has a great concern for other people coming to know Him. But every single thing that we do as the church isn't about people that are lost. Some things are about us being built up together and fellowshipping together and enjoying God together. Some things are about us being built up first so that we can be equipped for the work of bringing other people to, to come to know Christ. You understand there's so many times that uh, we people, I think especially in the American church, we're so focused on uh, trying to win the loss. And again, I don't want to diminish that. I'm not trying to diminish that in any way, but we're so focused on it, we get ahead of ourselves. We're not prepared for it. Everything we do is trying to do outreach. 
when we need to be built up so that we can reach out, so that we have some sort of answer for people when they ask a question and try to understand, what is this hope? The Bible says that we should always be prepared to give a reason and to have an answer to be able to tell people about the hope that is within us. There's a lot of times that we're doing these outreach events, and I guarantee you 75% of the people putting on the outreach event, if somebody asked them about their testimony, they wouldn't even know what to say. We can't get ahead of ourselves. We've got to start thinking about uh, understanding that everything that we do as the church isn't about the lost, uh, but some things are about us being built up as God's spiritual people and just enjoying His presence together and enjoying each other's presence together in Him, but then being built up so that we can be effective for others. I even sometimes think, too many times we think... Uh, you know, with lost people, we need to get them to church so they can get saved. And I'm not telling you that we shouldn't do that. That's great if somebody comes here and they get saved. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure, though, that this is the time designated for that purpose. What I, I believe this time together is for us to worship God together, to direct our hearts towards Him, and to fellowship together in love directed towards God, corporate worship. Now, if somebody comes here and hears the message and catches on fire and gets saved, that's awesome. But what I'm saying is we can't neglect our priestly duty when we are in the workplace. Somebody might want to get saved in the workplace because of you telling them something. Somebody might want to get saved in your family, your house. What I'm saying is you don't have to tell the person, well, wait till next week and come to church. And what I'm also saying is that An unbeliever coming here is just observing something. Now God might speak to them through that. God might set something on fire in their heart for Him. But when we come together for this gathering, it is for the saints to be built up for the works of service. It is for us to minister to God and each other then. That is what this time is about. And again, do not think that I am diminishing winning the lost. I am not doing that. If somebody comes here to get saved, that is amazing. I'm not telling you to not bring your lost friends to church. Do that. I'm just saying this isn't the only place, and sometimes in the Church of America, we have made this the only place where somebody can get saved. Because we don't have the confidence sometimes to do it in our workplace. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. So I think I'm just going to tell them to come to church. What I'm saying is, as priests of God, we seek Him. We set our ears apart to hear His direction, His voice telling us, hey, this is the person you need to talk to. I set my, my, my hands apart for His work and my feet to walk in His direction. And as I do that, somebody looks on and sees that there's something different about you. And they want to know, what's going on with you? Why are you so different than everybody else? And as a priest of God, then, I am pursuing Him in a way that I know how to speak to the person. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to be some kind of scholar. But I believe every one of us, if you were saved in Christ, has some sort of testimony. The problem is, sometimes we've never actually sat down and just thought through it in a systematic way. Meaning, I've understood what led me to the place of salvation and how then I communicate that to somebody else. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate. God will do the work if you are pointing somebody to Him, if you are speaking for His glory, if you are speaking His words, God will do the work. But what I'm saying is sometimes we just need to stop and take time to think through it. Because sometimes we don't ever do that. Uh, So, priests are to offer spiritual sacrifices uh, to God. So what are the ministries of the temple then? 
The first thing is understanding that our sacrifice is, number one, our bodies, meaning everything within us. But Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In view of the mercies of God, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. And we've talked about this before, but the first thing that we have to do as believers, as priests, is to understand the significance of the salvation we have received. We have to. Everything, everything we do hinges on understanding the significance of salvation. Everything. We understand God's holiness. We understand then the sinfulness of man in light of God's holiness and how there was a, a, a gulf, a chasm that we never could have crossed between us and, and, uh, and God. And Christ came and made a way for us to cross that chasm and to be in the presence of God and to be His priest. And we have to understand that is so significant because then when we fully understand that, we come to the place where we are able to offer sincere spiritual worship because I am motivated by the mercy of God. If I, if I don't understand the mercies of God, if it's not significant to me, then you can be sure that my spiritual worship will never be significant or valuable or worthy of God because my spiritual worship comes out of the overflow of my heart in thankfulness and praise and in offering myself. I want to offer everything within me because I see the mercy that I've received. I see the significance of it. If salvation is cheap, what I offer to God then is going to be cheap. So we have to pursue an understanding of the depths of depravity of the human heart in the gift, the free gift of salvation that has raised us up out of the pit of sin to be a kingdom of priests with God. So we have to offer our bodies motivated by the mercy of God, meaning everything that I do, whether I preach or teach or I work in a nursery, I prepare meals for others, whatever I do, it doesn't matter if you're a CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation or you work at the local grocery store, whatever you are doing, it doesn't matter. None of them is more significant than the other. Everything is on the same plane with God. If that, if that person, whatever work they are doing, is offering that work to God, seeking to glorify Him and for His glory, it's just as acceptable if you're that CEO of a million dollar company or if you're the person working at a grocery store or the auto parts store, whatever you can think of. It's just as acceptable. None's more significant than the other. That's the amazing thing about Living in Christ is it's an even playing field. If you were a priest of Christ, you are just as valuable as the other. And you are a priest of Christ if you are saved in Christ. There's not one of us in this room that's more valuable than the other. First Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Everything that we do. Everything that we do for the glory of God. That there is nothing that we do in a day that is outside the concern of God. His care and His concern. And if that's the case, everything that we say and do should be of the greatest concern for us to offer it to Him for His glory. So the first things we offer Him are bodies. We also offer Him our speech. Hebrews 13:15 says through him meaning Jesus 
let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Continually offering up a sacrifice of praise, this is the fruit of lips of those who proclaim His name. The people that are saved in Christ, the people who say they are saved in Christ and walk in God. The fruit of our lips, the natural outflow of our heart through our lips is praise and thanksgiving. I think that is one of the most undervalued things in the church. And one of the greatest things we can aspire to is being the person who every time somebody comes to talk to you, they hear thanksgiving to God. They hear praise to God in all things. Have you ever been around one of those people in the church? There are a few people that you are around in the church, but every time you're around them, they have something great to say about God. They have some sort of thankfulness to offer to God. Every, every conversation they have somehow turns around to them being thankful. That is an amazing thing that is encouraging, that fills up other people. That should be the fruit of the lips of everybody. If I am, if I am a spiritual sacrifice to God and I'm doing that in light of the mercy, in view of the mercy I've received, the natural outflow should be my thankfulness, should be my praise directed at God. That is something that we should aspire to as the people of God, as being people of thanksgiving. So other than after our words then, our speech is also our actions. Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, do not, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So sharing uh, the things that we have with others, being uh, generous, being and, and that flows out of love. Being generous to people flows out of our love and concern for other people. Uh, sharing with the, the people around us in Romans 13.8 says this, Let no debt remain outstanding except the, the continu- continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. See, something that we should understand about sacrifice is that it took thought and effort. If you see in the in the Old Covenant, you see the ways that they went about offering sacrifices, read through the book of Leviticus and you will see the lengths to which they had to think through the things that they offered to God. The burnt offering alone, uh, they, they would bring a bull, sheep, or a goat with no defect. They killed it at the entrance of the tent. The animal's blood was removed and then they sprinkled the blood around the altar. The animal was skinned and cut into pieces, its intestines and legs washed and the priests burned the pieces, the leftover pieces, on the altar then. That required some work for them to do that. Now if we consider then in the New Covenant as we offer our bodies, our speech, our actions motivated by love, all of those things, it should take our careful thought to offer something that is truly a sacrifice. What I mean by that is we don't offer God something that's left over. We don't offer Him second best. We don't offer Him just whatever is left when we have given to everything else. Whether that's our time or, or our money or uh, our, our consciousness, our thoughts of things, that sometimes we get up and we offer our thoughts to everything else in the world other than God. Offering spiritual sacrifices will take our time and dedication and our thought process. 
I know I've said this before, but so many things in this world, we will put so much thought into training for them. An athlete or somebody who aspires to be a professional musician or uh, you know, whatever you can think of, we have these things where we set ourselves apart to that purpose. And then my time, my talents, my energies, everything that I have is devoted to that end, what I aspire to be. Or what I aspire to accomplish. Everything that in me, I devote to that. The first thing, though, has to be that we put that much thought and desire into knowing God. Now, in that, I'm not telling you that you have to sit up and read the Bible for four hours every morning and get up at three o'clock in the morning and study before you go to work. I'm not telling you that you've got to do that. For some of us, it's as simple as starting with five minutes. That's more than we're doing now. Something that is truly a sacrifice. In that five minutes, you get up five minutes earlier in the morning and you, you don't just sit down somewhere where uh, it's noisy and your thoughts are going every, every direction, but you, you get up, you close the door, go in the bathroom and close the door, go in your garage, close the door, whatever you have to do to have your mind focused on God for five minutes. If you are not doing anything, start with five minutes. That might not sound like anything to somebody else. But if you're not doing anything, that's a good place to start. Start by praying when you're on your drive from your house to work. Turn the radio off. Pray on your way to work. There are simple things like that we can do to keep our hearts focused on God. There are things that we have to do in this life. I understand we have responsibilities. We have bills to pay. We have work. We have all these things that we have to do. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't let your kids play any sports. You just sit in a corner every night as soon as you get home and get out the Bible and study it. I'm not telling you to do that. What I'm telling you is to think through the opportunities you have and to use them them for God rather than other things. There are ways that it can be done. It's just we don't ever stop and think through it. Our worship requires effort and preparation. So then, in the end of all of this, verse 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. I am a royal priesthood. I am chosen by God. We are a holy nation as His people, His special possession. Then, after all of these things, after I fulfill my role as I am fulfilling my role as a spiritual priest today, the new covenant priest, offering ministry to God, then I am to declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into wonderful light. And the Greek word there for praises means virtues. So you could read that, that I would declare the virtues of Him who has called me out of darkness into His wonderful light. So the first thing is we can do this. We should start with doing that in our families. We should start by being able to talk about about God with our families. And then we should be able to talk about God together in this place. 
that our conversations would be for God's glory. There are times even in the church, I think, in America where we can get together for fellowship opportunities and sometimes God is the last thing that we talk about. We need to make sure that we are encouraging each other. It is encouraging when one member tells everyone else what God is doing. When somebody says, God has done this in my life. Or I am facing a difficulty right now and it is terrible, but I feel free in God. I feel peace in God in the midst of that storm. When somebody can stand up and say that, it encourages others to press on and to keep walking. So we start with our families, then we start together. And out of the outflow of those things then, we are able to proclaim the goodness of God, the virtues of God, His character, all that He is. We are able to proclaim that to the people that are lost. You see, again, we can't get that backwards too many times. We're trying to talk to the lost when we're not talking to our families or our church. It doesn't work that way. As we start talking to our families about God, as we start talking to each other about God, you can be sure then, over time, of that actually happening when you were confronted with a person who says, hey, you're living a little bit different. What's going on with you? You're not going to be at the place where you don't know what to say because your life is talking about Him. In your families, in your church, you're talking about Him. You are, not just hearing it, but you're talking about what He has done. And then when that person comes to you unexpectedly and says, I've been seeing you for the last year or whatever, and you're different. What's going on? It just starts flowing out. Because that has been your life. Speaking of God, declaring His virtues, His character, your family, and your church, then it just starts flowing out to the other people. Because you know what to say. Because you have seen God and His goodness in your life and you have heard of God's goodness in the lives of those people around you in the church. So you know not just what God has done in you, you know the goodness of God that He has worked in the people around you. That is the natural flow of how things should operate. It starts with us individually with Christ and then God has entrusted us with families. We speak to them. And God has entrusted us with an opportunity in the church. We speak to them. We hear from them about what God is doing. And then we are prepared to proclaim His virtues and goodness to those who are lost. So, as the worship team comes up and we close today, the first thing we have to do is understand our position in Christ, that you are not a part of the church to just serve in a few various directions and come be an observer. You're not supposed to be somebody who just takes it in, but somebody who sees their life as service to God, as a priest of God, as ministry to God, as a priest of God, and then ministry to others out of that ministry to God. I recognize that first as a holy priest. We offer everything to God's spiritual sacrifices then, motivated by His mercy. We do everything to aim for His glory. <clears throat> and then we are able to proclaim His virtues to the world around us.
You know, I think as we close today, we're going to open up the altars again. If you have <clears throat> any need, please come up. If you desire to step into that deeper, if you desire to know God deeper, and, and to be able to live out that life as a priest of God, come today. And again, if you're just thankful today for all God has done and what He's made available to us, come today. God, we thank You again today for the opportunity to worship You, to be together as Your redeemed children. Father, we thank You that through our High Priest, Your Son, that we are able to step into the most holy place where You dwell. We are able to approach You with boldness and confidence. God, as we approach You today, we pray that You would deepen our relationship with You in understanding our priestly role in offering ministry to You, that we wouldn't any longer think about ministry in terms of just the people around us, but we would offer You ministry every day when we wake up that we would seek to offer something before You, spiritual sacrifice before You, something that truly costs us something, not just what is left over. And out of that, then You would build us up to minister to each other. And out of that ministry, then You would build us up to minister to the world around us. Father, help us to not ever get ahead of You, but to walk in step with Your Spirit as You guide us in everything. Father, we love You. We glorify You today. It's Your name we pray. Amen. Could you stand?